1: Welcome to the cast an SB Nation podcast about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am William Chase, your host. Joining me today, Eric Seeds and Elaine Shercliffe. How are we doing?
0: I feel the need, the need for speed. What about you, Elaine? The same. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm really excited about the Top Gun trailer. Oh, I feel
3: the same. I also... <laughs> you know what, though? If um, you've lost that love and feeling is not in the movie, they just have to, like... Scrap it and restart all over again.
1: Well, <laughs> it's the heat of summer, but we have a few topics to talk about. And apparently, former Blue Jacket goalie Sergei Bobrovsky—you guys remember him, right? He uh, he talked to a nope. Russian journalist. <laughs> he talked to a Russian journalist. I believe I'm saying his name right, Igor or Igor Aronko. About basically, he was saying there was no chance he would sign an extension with Columbus. He, Bobrovsky uh, mentioned the Jackets, you know, kept trying to extend him. He talked about his suspension. I guess basically it was a fractured relationship between the two, going back to the playoff series against the Capitals in 2018. And I know Bob- that Bobrovsky is no longer with the Jackets, but do you guys have any thoughts on this?
0: Oh boy, yes, I do. Let me, uh, let me, g- <laughs> I have some thoughts on Mr. Sergey Bobrovsky here. Quote, Quote from Sergei Bobrovsky, I was suspended by the team. There were some conflicts with the team, a lot of meetings, and some of them just because of me. I didn't feel myself comfortable. Still, the Jackets tried and tried to extend me all season long. I don't know if Sergei Bobrovsky is aware of this, but he was suspended because he walked out on the team players on the team were furious coaching staff was furious the front office was furious and again like i said players on the team were mad and they helped lead the charge to suspend him sergey Bobrovsky helped bring this on himself and now he is airing his dirty laundry out when we all knew that he wasn't going to resign in Columbus. And now he's trying to make himself sound like the good guy who I did nothing wrong in the city. I did nothing wrong in that locker room when he, everyone knows when everyone knew everyone knew from the minute training camp started. And he gave that bizarre press conference in the locker room that the front office knows what I'm doing, that he wasn't coming back. To his credit, Yarmo didn't give up and tried to extend him. Clearly, that bridge was burned with Sergey Bobrovsky, but I give Yarmo credit for trying, or at least giving the optics that he was trying. Sergey Bobrovsky has to know better than to come out and obliterate whatever bridge with every single teammate he had in this town, with every fan in this town, and criticize the suspension after the Tampa Bay game where he just bailed in. If you I don't don't know if you guys remember, but like the there were there were moments on Twitter where people didn't know where he was, if he was still in the locker room, if he had just caught a like taxi back to the hotel. No, it it was it was so chaotic that night that player that like Fans and, and and media didn't know where Bob was for a hot minute. It's absurd that he is trying to deflect the blame for this suspension to anyone other than himself when he brought it on himself. I I, I respect Sergey Bobrovsky for everything that he did during his time here in Columbus. You know, thanks for the two Vesnas, thanks for the playoff wins, thanks for all of that. But dude. Don't air your dirty laundry like this in the middle of this in the middle of the summer when this team is in this team, this fan base and the players in the locker room gave everything to support you, back you up, did everything they could for you. This is not a good look for Sergei Bobrovsky in my book. I hope we I hope we destroy him when the Panthers <laughs> return, when the Panthers come to Columbus. I look forward to a. Uh, I don't even know who their backup is now they got rid of Reimer, but I I look forward to chanting We Want Their Backup in the uh in on New Year's Eve. That should be a fun game. Um, Elaine, I think you have some thoughts.
3: I do. I have a lot of thoughts. Even more than what we talked about earlier. So one, you know what? Like, we could sit here and be like, that was pretty ballsy, but it wasn't as ballsy as Panarin uh <laughs> dragging Vladimir Putin. I don't know what's going on with the Russians right now, but they're just spilling all the tea.
0: Yeah, um, I, I I give credit to Panarin for saying what he said, by the way. That was that was yeah. really impressive. I've never seen a Russian athlete come out and do that.
3: No, me neither.
0: I know, I hope he's still alive.
3: <laughs> he he was on Instagram today. Well, so there I you think,
0: go, yeah. Is his dog okay?
3: <laughs> right, that's really what I'm concerned about, okay? If that dog is not okay. I will go to Russia. I don't know what I'll do, but, like, I'll go there. <laughs> but, I waver back and forth about this because I don't like it when players come out and speak ill of a team after they've left it. I don't like it when media speaks ill of a player after the player leaves. I don't like any of that. What What is going on where, like, we have Jack Johnson doing it last year, now we have Bobrovsky doing it this year. It's, At some point, you have to just kind of have at least a little bit more tact
0: Mm
3: -hmm. um, and be honest or just not say anything at all and keep it to your inner circle. Um, At the same time, though, I just, you know, he he clearly didn't want to be there. He was brooding half the time. And then, yes, he did get suspended for his attitude, but it was so late in the season. Like... I just wish at the beginning of the season knowing that he wasn't going to be there, I wish they would have sent a message to him or something like that in the beginning of the season that's like, "Fine, we'll be fine without you." Even if it might have backfired. I don't know. I'm Yeah. It's just I I feel like it's not just him and I feel like and I I don't think all the meetings were about him. I there were so many meetings about so many things. And I don't think Panarin and Bob were the only problem on the team. And I don't know how the past two seasons, because I I feel like there was a lot of the same going on in Cleveland. I just feel like there's a lot of disrest, disunrest, disrest is not a word, unrest amongst the organization. And I don't know if it stems from coaching or management or the players or leadership, and it something needs to be done so that next year, this coming season, we don't have another season full of meetings when we know it's not, it probably just wasn't about those two.
0: Right. And Elaine, I'm going to kind of piggyback off you there um, of players airing dirty laundry after the season. We had an article two weeks ago, remember where Felino and Atkinson were airing dirty laundry and they were complaining about how hopefully this season's more drama free now that the Russians are gone. And like to your, to, to your mention, um, there were a lot of meetings this season and like, like, like that, that article um, on the athletic that uh, Atkinson and Foligno were quoted in brought up the Vancouver, um, the meeting in Vancouver. That's long after Bob and Bob was suspended and the trade. That, that's a month after the trade deadline. Like what, I don't understand what is going on in this, in this locker room that, guys are just I, I i don't i don't know where i'm trying to even go with this i don't understand what's going on that there's so much dysfunction in here may is i i i fundamentally don't understand it like you know you know you know atkinson was atkinson spent most of the time angry Felina spent a lot of time angry apparently obviously the two russians were angry and brute and bob was brooding Panarin. To his credit, Panarin has admitted that he felt the pressure of the world on his shoulders. So, like, I get that, but still. Yeah, there's... can I enter Oh, oh yeah, go for it.
3: I wonder if it's because of Tortorella. Not anything he's done, but that some players like Atkinson and Felino love his grit, love his, um, his sassiness, I guess you could say, um, love his fire. And I wonder if there are players on the team who they are not, they just don't like that level of coaching uh, where maybe they felt more comfortable with Todd Richards, who wasn't so much an in-your-face, wouldn't just, like, drag you to the media, you know. Oh, uh, you, mean, you,
0: mean, you mean he wouldn't bench you and uh, give you no yes. explanation and then um... – I we we all know I've been a I've been a critic of John Tortorella on this podcast and on the Canon regularly here. Like I never I John Tortorella's methods I think are outdated for this NHL and I think he needs to go at some point. Like it's I
3: just I love him.
1: I got to jump in though cuz I got to say for Bobrovsky even though he was being critical of kind of the last basically season things that had happened or may have been going on he was quick to also uh kind of talking about the pros and cons under Tortorella and he did say that that with Tortorella's arrival the team did become a contender obviously making the playoffs each season under Tortorella but or at least after that first season he came in midseason. but also um talking about the disciplined approach that he brought to the team so I mean I like Todd Richards as well but I think Torch did bring a kind of level that was not there, was lacking, and whether or not players like it or don't like it, I mean, I'm kind of on the Tortorella side of, you know, players need to, they need to do what they need to do to get on to be on the ice, whether it's doing what the coaching staff wants or just playing better or being accountable. So I will say that Bobrovsky, for some of the criticisms he seemed to throw out there, he was also talking more positively as well about certain things.
0: I think John Tortorella's message might be wearing stale with some in the locker room yeah. and it might be just time for a new voice when he, that players might be just tired of hearing him yell, you need to do this, that and the other. A lot of these guys have heard that message for so many years and now they're being um, possibly held back by Tortorella's system. I'm looking specifically at someone like Oliver Bjorkstrand who has struggled to find consistency on under John Tortorella. I, I just wonder if there might need to be something else or me might need to be a new voice in the locker room. And I will leave my final thoughts with that.
1: Yeah, I, I do agree there too, that I think that the, the, undoubtedly I'm sure the message is getting stale at some point, at least every now and then, but, uh, yeah, I do think that some players are probably being held back, like you said, Bjorkstrand. And also, just real fast, just to close this chapter, um, yeah, a lot of the, the drama was self-inflicted on Bob's part and basically good luck in Florida. <laughs> he seems to be happy going there and we're ready to move on. And I do think a lot of the drama will be out the door with Bobrovsky and Panarin. I don't, th- I don't know. I don't think there's really any more drama or at least any more drama than there would be otherwise. So... I think a lot of it was just the Bob Panarin stuff. But anyway, closing that
0: up. If there is, if there is, how willing are you guys to look at starting to jettison leadership on this roster? Oh, I've been on that. Chapter. I'm
3: already ready for it.
0: I've been there. <laughs> Bless you, Elaine. Bless you, Will. Okay. <laughs> now, okay, let's move on.
3: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
1: Another topic, BetOnline.com revealed their odds last week regarding best-to-worst chances for teams to win the East and Western Conference. Then this week, they came out with the point totals Uh, over-under. BetOnline had Columbus at about 82.5 points. Superbook has them at 84.5 points. And PD obviously sees this team as more of a 90-point team. So, Seeds, what do you make of the over-under roughly about 82 points eighty two to eighty five points um for the blue jackets this upcoming season.
0: I think 83, thirty eighty84 ish is about right. um I read read an article on the athletic over uh, over the weekend when I was up in Michigan for a wedding that had the jackets losing s- about seven and a half wins with all with all the guys they lost this season um you know Panarin, and Duchane or Panair and Duchesne, Duchesne Bobrowski obviously McQuaid, Dezingle, and then also Anthony Duclair, and the lack of any draft picks to come in and supplement those guys, uh, because the 2019 draft was basically, uh, a no-show from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Seven and a half wins sounds about right, and it works out to 15 points. Columbus was a 98-point team last season, snuck in as the eighth seed, and, uh, you take 15 points away, that puts them at 83 points. I mean, that Sounds about right to me. I'm not. I'm not super shocked by these projections. I think the ultimate wild card for the Columbus Blue Jackets is goaltending this season. Um, obviously, no one's model can predict whatever Elvis is going to do because he's never played in North America. And I think while he'll be good, it's going to take an adjustment period. And I think Corpasalo m- might improve over uh, or with usage, but I don't think he's stellar i think he'll be fine um but it just it just really depends on the goaltending and the blue jackets are thin um we don't really have a lot of scoring depth we don't really have a lot of uh, defensive depth that can reliably stay healthy thanks uh thanks a lot ryan murray's body <laughs> but i think the blue jackets will be fine but yeah uh i think this team is about an 83 84 point team and we'll miss the playoffs
3: Sorry, please don't hate me. I actually was like, wow, that's pretty high. Um, I think it'll be somewhere like 79. Well, I guess you can't really have 79, but like 80, like 80 points. I just, until I see what team hits the ice during training camp and during preseason, I feel like it could go either way. It could be a really good season or we're in for a sob fest. Because, I mean, while I think Merzlikins Lickens is the real deal, I also thought there were plenty of players who were the real deal and then they just floundered at the NHL level. I don't think our defense is, like, the best. If Brian Murray stays healthy the whole season, I think we might be fine. And... I hope that the forwards can just click and get it together. And if Torts finds that solid first line and a solid second line, we're going to be okay. But this whole, like, let's do a slot machine with all the players and pick our first, second, third, fourth lines, It's we just have to have some semblance of consistency this season, whether it just be, like, the first line is all the same every game. Just something that's solid and consistent. So I say 80 points, miss the playoffs, but I also feel like if they can come together, we'll have like a 86 to 90 points and get in. So it's I'm very wavery. I go back and forth a lot on that.
1: Yeah, I just want to add also that Seeds is going to have more on this Saturday. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think Columbus, I'm hoping by 85 points, um, goaltending is the wild card for me. And I don't know, I feel like the forwards, the scoring, I mean, there's going to be a drop-off, I'm sure, when you lose Panarin and guys like that, Duchesne. But hoping that Atkinson, Dubois can kind of keep doing what they were doing. And also, you hope that guys like Texier or others that might come up will – be able to find their game quicker and hopefully York strain also puts together a full season. We saw it last year in the second half when he was just one of the top goal scorers in the NHL really in the second half of the year. So hopefully he can find it, but you just wonder about the chemistry losing Panera and Dubois, Atkinson will be together ideally or most likely, but we'll see, um, you know, how that line will wind up uh, working out first line, second line, like Elaine was saying.
0: You mentioned uh, chemi- You mentioned chemistry and sticking the lines together and stuff. My my biggest fear this coming season um, is that Tortorella saddles one of Texier or Bem, Emil Bemstrom, who's coming over and by by all accounts has one of the best clappers from a rookie since Alex Ovechkin, um, is he's going to saddle him with fourth-line minutes. And I'm just – I'm really, really scared of that. And that goes back to our conversation about John Tortorella and the frustration with the players and the frustration in the locker room is – you don't saddle a guy like Bemstrom on the fourth line who has that kind of shot on the fourth line with guys with like Riley Nash and Brandon Dubinsky. You just cannot do it. So this this team has a lot of this team has a lot of lineup decisions to make. And so, like Elaine said, I'm really really interested to see how they deploy the lineup in the in the uh, in the, in the in just open the season and see what happens. See how they decide to utilize all of this young talent that has all of this goal scoring ability, but they have all of these highly paid veterans who are in the waning years of some contracts and they just might need to make way for these younger players.
3: Yes. Agreed.
0: Please don't saddle Benstrom on the fourth line, Tortorella. Please, I'm begging you. Just
3: send him to Cleveland if you have to.
0: Right. At, at, least, he- at least he'd be getting the reps down there. Like... Seriously, like playing him nine minutes a night in Columbus is useless for anything he's going to do. That's true.
1: Well, we have a few minutes left, so I wanted to shift focus to the Monsters. Elaine, what do you have on the Monsters beat?
3: Okay, well, first, I wasn't... So last week I was on vacation, and they decided to just sign people, a lot of them. So I missed the Sunny signing, really. I know you guys talked about it. I just really quick wanted to say, at the end of the season... His value was very high. There was a lot of teams talking about him, a lot of scouts watching him. So the fact that he accepted his qualifying offer means his arrest dropped his his negotiating abilities significantly. He He's really just not worth anything right now. I think people are waiting to see what he does when the season starts. They also signed Nikita Karastalev and Ryan McInnes. Um while I was on vacation to the jacket sign McInnes while well, he accepted did their qualifying offer, and Karastalev signed a one-year AHL contract. I'm not a fan of either of them. I think Karostalev has more potential, and the best thing about him is that if he struggles, they can send him to the ECHL, and he will probably flourish there like he did last year. Ryan McInnes is... I don't understand why he's still... With the team in any capacity, I know his dad is Al McInnes, like, you know, super important. (laughs) And I think maybe he might be friends with someone in the the front office. So maybe that's playing heavily on that. I just, I feel like he's plateaued and on the decline. But I'm not management, so maybe I'm missing something. And then they signed um, from the Toledo Walleye... Brian Moore, he's a forward. He is just like gritty and tough. He's also skillful. Um, He has a lot of penalty minutes this past season with like 246. (laughs) He is aggressive and that might not be... (laughs) Jared
0: Bull. Jared Bull.
3: But could you imagine if they... I haven't heard anything about Gallant signing. I think he did and they just haven't announced it. I'm not 100% positive. But if Brett Gallant and Brian Moore are on the same line. It will be like better than if Jody Shelley and Jared Bull were on a line together. It will be insane. So I hope that's the case. That is my Monsters News, my Monsters Minute.
1: All right. Well, we still have like about a minute and a half to go. So just real fast, we can do our final thoughts and seeds. I will start with you.
0: I actually do have a final thought, and it's more of a question that I want to ask you guys. Is that all right?
3: Yes. I'm down. Hit me.
0: All right. I I posed this question in the Slack, but I want to get it on the podcast and hopefully generate some discussion. What is the most historic event you guys have ever seen in person in sports?
1: I think for me, the, the first thing that comes to mind is probably old-timers' day at Yankee Stadium. I mean, I don't know if it's most historic, but old-timers' day at old Yankee Stadium in 2008, the year before, or really, it's last season. That's what sticks out to me initially. Uh, what about you, Elaine?
3: So you know I have to give the AAA Blue Jackets a bump. Um, yeah. When I was interning with them, and we went to Quebec City for the Pee Wee tournament, and it's basically like the Olympics for Pee Wee kids. The 2001 uh, birth year, it was the first time that the AAA Blue Jackets won the whole entire tournament, and it was in the Colise. It was one of the last times that they were doing the tournament in the Colise. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. I like The whole trip in general was amazing, but just to watch these kids create history for a program that is just gaining more and more speed and longevity now like i i definitely cried (laughs) it was an amazing experience and i know it's none of those kids were like my kids and it just it i felt super connected to it probably because i was there for all nine days with them living every single game it was amazing
1: that's cool See, I think I know what yours was.
0: Yeah, Um, those the the fellow writers who were hanging out in the Slack this afternoon have heard this, but uh, when when I was uh, four years out of college, I went up to stay with a buddy out up in Chicago, and I saw Cole Hamill's last start with the Philadelphia Phillies before he was traded at the uh, at the deadline that year. Uh, Cole Hamill's on July twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen. It was a Saturday afternoon. Uh, mid-afternoon start, broke the Chicago Cubs' no-hit streak. The Cubs had not been no-hit in 7,921 games, dating back to 1965. And I saw Cole Hamels no-hit the Cubs in Wrigley Field. Ryan Howard hit a three-run homer off Jake Arrieta. Jorge Soler struck out uh, in the seventh uh, and... um, he broke his bat over his knee. It was it was an insane afternoon. The Cubs uh, Cubs couldn't get anything going. There were a couple uh, diving catches near the warning track. And at one of them, the Cubs left fielder or the uh, Phillies left fielder. I forget even who it was, was backtracking for a fly ball, lost his footing on the warning track, got up and made the catch from his knees to preserve the uh, I think I preserve that. the no hitter. And um So, yeah, so I saw I saw the first time the Cubs, first and only time the Cubs have been no hit since 1965. I was sitting there with my buddy who kept score and he still has the scorecard framed on his wall because we we were talking after after the game was over. And he's like, you know, we both realized in the like fifth inning, there's uh, there's something going on. And once the once the Phillies tacked on five or three runs in like the eighth inning, half the stadium was like, all right, this is probably going to happen. The Cubs are going to lose. If we're going to lose, we want to see the no hitter. So that was real. It was really, really cool to see a no hitter live in person.
3: That was an awful awful game.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was watching that game on TV. It was an absolutely abysmal game because I was there cheering for the Cubs. But it was cool to see a no hitter because how many times in my life am I going to get to see that?
1: I guess. Yeah. The closest I had was when I was working as an intern with the green jackets and we had a, I think it was a double header and the seven inning game was a no hitter. So that was pretty fun. But yeah, I was watching that game on TV and anyway, it all worked out in the end for the Chicago team. But anyway,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they won, they, yeah, they
0: won that world series next year. Bang.
3: Don't, don't, we can't say that.
0: Just, just for you, pale dragon.
3: <laughs> He's gonna cry.
1: <laughs> and Arietta became a beast. But anyway, real fast, my final thought is: go ahead and get that Varensky deal done. We know it's gonna happen, in Columbus. So Yarmo, Zach, get together, hammer it out, be done with it, um, and just get ready for training camp. Elaine, what's your final thought?
3: Um, I just think that cancer is a word that I cannot say on this podcast because apparently we're family friendly. Um, forget cancer, (laughs) yeah, forget cancer, but with four letters, I, um, I don't know. It's just, it's sad to see. I I didn't know that the Zitos were going through what they were doing, going through with his wife having breast cancer. And now RJ Umberger's mom is, I mean, her prognosis doesn't look good. And then I'm sure we all have someone, I mean, I have someone I love who's going through it as well. I just, Mm It's just it's cool though to see fans rally around um, R.J. Umberger because he's probably one of the most made fun of <laughs> former uh, former jackets. But I just my, I, my prayers and thoughts, and I know people think thoughts and prayers are useless, but there's literally nothing else I can do. So my thoughts and prayers are with both of their families. During this incredibly tough time, and I know because my dad is a stage four two-time melanoma survivor, so it's not an easy thing, and I hope that they find some comfort and enjoy all their time with their family, and I hope that they kick its butt.
1: Yeah, well said. I just wanted to say, like, you know, like you said, uh, with thoughts and prayers, you can never underestimate the power that it can to have, and... Hopefully everything works out as best as it can for both parties. But um yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Elaine. Thanks. All right. Well screw we, cancer. Yeah, exactly. Um, we are out of time. It was fun, and we will be back. Uh, be sure to check out CBJ can, at CBJ Cannon on Twitter, jacketscannon.com for any latest articles, news. We'll see you next week. oh